whether you read every day or haven't finished a book in years, chances are there's at least one book you've kept with you for a long, long time. Something about the main character or the setting or maybe just the time in your life you discovered it. I want to know more about that. My name is Malavika Prasid, and this is Your Favorite Book. And joining me today is Alexander Zimmerman. Hey, Zim, how are you today? Great. You did it. You said Zim. That's awesome. <laughs> Thanks so much. Before we get started with the book proper, uh, Zim, I just want to hear from you. Uh, can you tell everyone listening a little bit about yourself? Currently live in San Diego, California. I'm uh, a single father. Two kids are amazing. We're, we're all dealing with the um, you know pandemic times and trying to figure that out. I'm in graduate school at San Diego State University in the School of Art and Design and making art, trying to be a creative person. I've been creative my whole life. Um, let's see, what else? I don't know. I could go on and on. I'd love to talk about myself. <laughs> so, <laughs> I admire you being creative. You know, in this pandemic, it's so hard to focus on creative projects. It just takes a different kind of energy. Yeah, I've found, uh, personally, I've found it hasn't been that difficult um, because, oh, you know, I'm pretty introverted anyway. I like to just hole up in my studio and I used to say like well when I first moved to San Diego people would say oh it must be so awesome to be in the sun all the time and I'm like no not really because my sun <laughs> my sunshine is I say my sunshine is working in my studio that's where mm -hmm. like that's where I get the sunshine from so I don't actually want it to be sunny I want to I want it to be cool and calm and mm -hmm. I'll just focus on my work in my studio Right. I, I feel you there. If I'm going by that phrasing, my sunshine is in the library. So I understand. Nice. Do you, I always, I don't know, I, I was never a library person, but I always loved bookstores. Like mm -hmm. the, I think it's the, like the smell of new books or something like something about bookstores has always um, got me excited. As I shared with you um, in our little pre, you know, emails and stuff, yep. I tried, I tried to also do sort of a book club on, on YouTube for a moment. Mm -hmm. But it never, I didn't quite follow through with it. I only did like three or four episodes, but I do love talking about books. So it'll be fun. I find that, you know, no matter what you do, um, like what your career is or what your main hobbies are, like everyone's got a book to talk about. And so I've loved reaching out to people across all walks of life, whether or not you make books your full time thing or if books are just something you love, everyone's got at least one book to talk about. And that's mm -hmm. been my experience so far. And before we jump in, Zim, I know you have a few projects you're working on. I know you told me you have a YouTube channel. Do you want to tell us a little about that? Yeah, I mean, if, uh, you know, hopefully if anybody's interested in finding more about me, that's kind of maybe the number one or number two spot I'd like to direct people to. It's it's just youtube.com slash the Zim video. I guess maybe the easiest way to find all my stuff is the Zim.com, T-H-E-Z-I-M.com. I don't know. My YouTube is kind of right now it's focused on my journey as an artist and I'm actually putting like the behind the scenes stuff, but also the actual pieces of art on YouTube because I'm trying to make video a big part of my artistic process. So it's like I'm trying to figure out how to use the language of video and make actual pieces of art. And especially in our this pandemic time we're in, like virtual viewing of art is something we have to really consider and really reflect on. And so showing art in a format that people can actually access is kind of an important thing to, to think about. So I'm, 
I'm already into video and it just makes so much sense right now to make that a priority because of what we're dealing with in, in the world. Yeah, So yeah, absolutely. That, that sounds awesome. And um, can you give us a little bit of an idea? I know it's so hard to ask artists to describe their art, but in a nutshell, oh, if no. you can tell us the kind of art that you like to do and what you mainly focus on. Yes, I can try. I can try to do that. Um, <laughs> recently, I, I applied to a scholarship and I had my professor, my lead professor in the art school kind of write a letter recommendation for me. And she wrote in it like something to the effect of like he's the true definition of multimedia artists or something like that. Like, so it's like, I do, I have my fingers in a lot of different things. I like to, sew. I got my undergrad in fiber arts. I like to, sew. I'm doing currently doing like a, a series where I'm doing daily drawings. So mark making and drawing is really important to me. And then the video work um, is important to me, but also the theme I'm really kind of gravitated toward right now is very related to in the moment of like social justice, pandemic mm -hmm. stuff, you know, politics stuff. I'm, I've gotten heavily into those kind of um, ideas and I'm trying to figure out how to express them in a way that's not cliche, potential finger pointing and problem pointing. And I don't like to do that. I like to talk about the problem possibly, but also present solutions and try to mix it together. Um, and that's really my goal with it is to talk about what I perceive as a problem and then how I perceive a, a good solution for it would be and see if I can start that conversation. Because if you go one way or the other, like I found if you only talk about the solutions, it can be passed off as cliche as well, because it tends yeah. to be uplifting and that kind of thing. And it's like people are like, oh, artists want to be moody. So you have to throw in that <laughs> mood as well as as the uplift. You know, it's like I don't want it to be one all of one thing. So that's kind of where I'm at. Absolutely. That sounds so interesting. And I can't believe you did your undergrad in fiber arts. That sounds so cool. <laughs> it was. I, I always had a thing about sewing machines. Like I really enjoyed this, the concept of sewing machines. And then at the time of undergrad, I thought I, you know, at 20 years old, I was young. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. To me, that's young. I'm 43 right now. So like, to me, that was a while ago. So, um, <laughs> you know, thinking about like what I thought I knew and I thought I understood enough about the, you know, sculpture and painting are like the two big pillars of the art school. And so I was like, yeah, I kind of think I understand that. Let me do fiber arts because I, that seems a little different. And I had an interest in fashion design at the time as well. And I thought I had all these different kind of concepts around it. And so I just kind of dove in and went for fiber arts. I feel like I have like a dozen more questions to ask you, but I think we should go back to the book right now before I run out of time. Sure. But, so generally how we set this up is I'll start by briefly giving everyone listening a summary of the book, Ender's Game by Orson Scott Card. So um, Ender Wigan, a precocious six-year-old, is tapped as the savior of humanity and raised to be the perfect military commander in an intergalactic battle school. Along the way, Ender must face his own humanity and the impact that an absence of love and empathy has had on his life. And mm -hmm. so um, that's just my brief takeaway from this book, sort of summing it up. But before we get into my personal thoughts on Ender's Game, I want to hear from you. Uh, yeah. When did you first read this book? What was uh, your life like when you first discovered it? Can I, I want to I start with a different idea real quick. Hopefully it'll be real sure. quick. And basically it's the... If people are aware of Orson Scott's card as a polarizing author, which I've learned after I yeah. discovered him. And so I wanted <laughs> to state 
I don't agree with his stance on um, marriage equality is the big thing that he kind of is kind mm -hmm. of weird about. It doesn't I've tried to do some research to find out exactly where he stands. He just doesn't seem to have a, a great stance on it. So I wanted to say off the top that, you know, trying to separate the art from the artist a little bit and mm -hmm. um, just understanding that concept. I just felt in this moment we're in socially right now with just um, ideas of social justice and oppression going on in our community, in our world. I, I just think it would be, um, I don't know if it's irresponsible, but just, I just had to feel like I had, I felt compelled that I needed to state that there is this issue. I am aware of it. And I don't agree with Orson Scott Card's take on it. So now we can jump into <laughs> the story. No, so I mean, I was going to bring that up at some point, and I think it's good that we're bringing it up right off the bat. So normally I like to talk about the authors and where they're coming from. And as you said, Orson Scott Card has some unfortunately bigoted views. As you mentioned, marriage equality. He's unfortunately said some misogynistic and otherwise backward things. And... Yeah. Um, I, I, especially nowadays, when we think about the roles that writers have on popular culture, what with everything going on surrounding JK Rowling and some of her recent statements, it's hard sometimes to look back at art that we may have enjoyed and noticing that authors are problematic. And so there is some separation of art and artists that we can all do. I think it's a very personal choice whether or not you choose to make that statement. I personally tell people that if an author's statements make you unwilling to pick up a book that is perfectly within your right. I'm not the person that's going to tell you that those words are not hurtful. And mm -hmm. I think everyone has a different threshold for this things and that's to be respected. Yeah. Um, and so I'm, I'm sure as we go in, I'll, I'll probably pick up on a couple things that you can kind of see some of Card's views seeping yeah. in. I, I do think, thankfully, he doesn't delve into marriage equality in Ender's <laughs> yeah. Game. But there's a couple other things. But I do appreciate you uh, making that statement first and foremost. I was going to make something similar as well. Sure. And uh, I'm sure my listeners are happy to hear where we stand on that particular <laughs> issue. Yeah. And so, you know, obviously, if somebody... Would, maybe somebody's not even listening to this because they already know and they're like, I'm not going to mm -hmm. even listen to the conversation about this author um, because of the idea. But mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I'm honestly really I was really conflicted because this book has always been my favorite. It's been my favorite book for a long time. And really, the first time I heard about this controversy was mm -hmm. when um, the movie came out. Yeah. And, and so I didn't really know. And then I was like, oh, OK. And that was like 2013, I think. I don't remember, yeah. but it was. Yeah, it was a it was a little bit ago. And and so it's always I've had this kind of like default, like muscle memory of when people say, hey, what's your favorite book? It's like Ender's Game. And then I think and then we we rearranged this thing. But now I'm having to actually really stand like have this conversation around it when I know more information. And then also like this moment of time we're in with, like I said, like social justice and things that it just to me, it just felt like I, I didn't want to come across as a hypocrite because I'm holding myself and people around me to a pretty high standard right now, especially. Right. Um, and so it was definitely, so I almost emailed you and said, you know, <laughs> let's change the book. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but, but then I was like, you know what, maybe this can be a part of the conversation and maybe, and I don't know. So I will just, you know, let's, I will, we can probably, we'll probably go in and out of this idea as we talk yeah. about it. But, um, but I'll just stand in the idea that, I still enjoy the book um, and I'm conflicted and I just want to just make sure that's expressed and understood. 
um, Absolutely. And, and how to deal with it. So to answer, so I'll just jump into your question <laughs> was, you asked me how I discovered the book. Is that how you said? Yeah. How, just where you were in your life when you first found this book and what your first impressions of it were. Okay. Yeah. Um. So I remember I actually have a pretty good physical visual memory of things. I'm, I'm not a photographic memory person, but um, I was in a bookstore in Seattle, Washington. That's where I'm, that was where I was grew up and from. And it was, mm-hmm. um, I think I had just graduated high school. So I think I was like out of high school because a friend of mine who was a year younger than me, I think was a senior and we were hanging out doing stuff and we were in a bookstore and he was buying a book. And then he said like, Hey, you should read this book in like another book. He went and said, Orson Scott card enters game and grabbed it off the shelf and said, you should read this. I think you'd really like it. He bought it for me paperback just out. And I was like, okay, let me check it out. And I read it and it, like was one of those books for me that just totally like I was able to read like really fast. I think it's a it's a fast yeah. read for me, um, which is really n- unusual. And we can get into this more because I'm dyslexic. And so mm-hmm. reading is sometimes very difficult for me, especially if there's too many different names and if there's a, a dialect in the way they present things like an example I like to use is the Tolkien, like Lord of the Rings books are really difficult for me because yeah. all the names and the dialect and the way they say things, I just can't read those books. I just, I've never been able, I've tried a few times and it's just hard for me. But, or since this game, or this game, this book <laughs> was um, a lot easier for me to access in the way that uh, my mind and reading works. So I was able to just, just eat it up right away. And um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I could keep going, but um, maybe there's something off of that that... Uh, <laughs> You could remind me of what I should be saying. So um, I know you mentioned roughly how I I know you mentioned you're 43. So when you said you just in high school, so what just refresh my math memory, what year would have that been? I can't do mental math, so I've no judge. This is like what I like to say when everybody's anybody's around me is it's a judgment free zone because I don't take anything for granted. Like I can't spell, I can't do mental math, and there's like all these things. So I'm just like whatever people need, it's all good. I'll, I'll never be like what you don't mm-hmm. you can't do math on the fly. No, <laughs> I mean I graduated in '95, mm-hmm. so it was probably around '96 or so that, okay. that I picked up this book. So you know, roughly a little over 20 years ago. So. Got it. Okay. And yeah. so you, you pick this up, you know, some of those formative years, you're, you know, right around the end of high school and it just really clicked for you. This was a book that sort of changed how you approached reading in a lot of ways. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you think this book shaped your future interest in books? Do you find that books that you enjoy other than Ender's Game have similar qualities to Ender's Game? Oh yeah, for sure. Like I think this this book, the way I describe it to people, I like to say it's the perfect mix of action and thought because mm-hmm. there's like, you know, it doesn't hang too long on one thing. One, it, does, it doesn't take too long before like there's some movement and action, but then there's also some parts that are definitely like thoughtful and heavy, especially like when you get into the siblings, like the um, Peter and, and Valentine um characters their their characters are very heady you know and so ender's ender's character is heady as well but also but because he's in the battle school he that that whole element of it he's it's very action oriented as well so it it gives it um a, a nice play and they don't i feel like it doesn't hang too long on one 
thing. So, so that's what I look for in books, really. Like, basically, if I can make it like the first three chapters, I am usually good. If it feels like it's just dragging for me, I, I'll tend to put it down, put a book down and not yeah. really come back to it. So, so this book had that nice balance. So whenever I'm reading, I kind of have mentally kind of compare it to like Ender's Game in a way. It's like, okay, that was the, this is like the benchmark for me in terms of, you know, thought and action and the balance between them. And then it, how do other books kind of compare to it? Right. That makes a lot of sense. I find that with other people I've interviewed for this podcast or even myself, I tend to just reach for books that remind me of my all-time favorites, you know, tropes and, you know, ways of telling stories that I just gravitate towards naturally, even though I like to branch out and experiment a bit, which is kind of what this whole podcast is about. You know, yeah. you still have your tried and true favorites that you're looking for. And yeah, that makes sense. You know, wanting to gravitate towards something that grabs you in the first three chapters. That's a great benchmark. Mm -hmm. uh, I guess I'm also curious in knowing, is this a book that you've read multiple times? Does it read any differently to you? Yeah, actually. I've So I've read it two and um, let's see, five eighths. Because <laughs> I, I started reading it again. I didn't quite make it all the way through before this interview. I'm on page right. 200, 228 and it's 300 and 24 pages so I mm -hmm. the last three chapters I didn't make it to but um but yeah like the first time I read it I just it just was really fast the second time I read it was a few years after just because I felt like it and then this is the third time just now and I definitely feel like the way I'm reading it now the thing I didn't do when I first started reading is mm -hmm. I tend now that I know more about the author and there's been other books where I when I read when I learn more about the author I start to re I start to feel like I can hear when it's the author's voice versus like the character's voice that's yeah. coming through. And mm -hmm. like, so when I was reading through it this last time, I was like, oh, I feel like that statement, this person that that Orson Scott's car is making is is his personal viewpoint on an mm -hmm. idea. And like yep. a couple, couple of examples that I could think of right off the top is the idea of of how many kids you're allowed to have like this idea of you're only allowed to have two kids in this this sci-fi universe yep. and um and since he's i believe he's mormon yep. so and there's this whole like and i read a bunch of his other books and he has this thing about seventh son like lots of kids and like seventh son and he even he even said that father of ender in this book was a seventh son he has this kind of like thing about what the term would be called but there's like this idea around lots of kids that he i think is a proponent of um yep. and so there's like that voice comes through and and so like things like that yeah so there's definitely like it does change the readings as i read it there's another example here like i kind of would buy into his philosophy on how to be a general in this book like the first time i read it because he did such a good job of like this this concepts of leadership and he kind of makes you believe that the leadership this leadership model works of being this stoic kind of keep yeah. your distance but as i've grown older and seen different ways of doing things and like when this was written was more in that kind of steve jobs era of running a company and, mm -hmm. and things like that like and nowadays there's it's a different I don't think that's necessarily the best route. I think compassion and empathy, like you said in your lead off, can be even more powerful, used the right way. So, and that's missing in this book in a lot of ways, in the way the leaders are. The leaders don't yep. show a lot of compassion and empathy. And especially there's a scene when Ender first gets his his battle, his army, and yep. he's deciding on how he wants to lead his army. They kind of speak directly to 
keeping that compassion and empathy out of it. And I'm like, yep. well, no, I think I think it would be stronger if you let everybody know that they are allowed to be themselves and you do relate to them. And I mean, of course, right. there's a there's a degree because I think I do agree with some of his thoughts around one of the commanders. I can't remember which one was like stayed in the, the bunks with the other the battle group and like didn't yep. allow that distance, you know? So there's elements that I think he did write in that word, like make total sense. It's like, oh yeah, like when you're the boss, you can't be friends with everybody, but you yep. can, but you can show empathy. So there's a, there's like degrees of things that I don't totally agree with this reading around. It, I think it definitely speaks to, you know, experience sort of taking over different stages of your life that you're in. That's why I always ask about rereads. Some mm -hmm. people don't reread their favorites, but the people who do, often if enough time has passed, they realize their own personal views have changed, the experiences they have, they've had have sort of colored how they read a book and maybe, you know, new knowledge about the author in, in this case as well. Um, yeah, and yeah. so uh, before we get into the book, I wanted to know, have you recommended this book to other people the way your friend recommended it to you? Have other people, you know, had positive feedback about it? I don't know about feedback, but I've definitely recommended it. So, um, yeah, now I used to recommend it all the time, like and every on Facebook, like as well. Like sometimes I'll get these people say, what's a good book? And like it was always one of the ones I would throw yeah. into the recommendation on these Facebook threads of people looking for books and things like that. So, yeah, I've definitely recommended it many times. <laughs> but but unfortunately, I can't give you I wish I could get feedback. I don't. If somebody has given me feedback, I don't remember it. Um, right, right. Yeah. I, I'm one of those people too. I throw recommendations at people and not very many times do I actually get someone coming back and saying, oh, I read this book and I really liked it. Nowadays, I find that more now that I've gotten into talking more about books, but yeah, definitely yeah. before I just felt like I was beating people over the head with recommendations. So, yeah. Um, so uh, before we get into talking about the book itself, um, mm -hmm. I have a pretty interesting history with Ender's Game that I thought I'd talk about to sort of put a spin on it. Um, I'm a I'm a bit younger than you, so I was born in 1995. So <laughs> so when you mentioned you graduated in 1995, I was like, oh, okay, we've got a little bit of a time difference here. But um, I was sort of introduced to this book when I was in elementary school. Um, I hadn't read the book in elementary school, but as someone who read a lot, I had a lot of guy friends, like boys I went to school with who all told me I had to read this book, that mm -hmm. I couldn't consider myself, you know, someone who liked books if I didn't read Ender's Game. It became that one book that like every boy in school recommended. And because of that, I never wanted to read it ever. <laughs> and I actually did not read this book for the first time until about three years ago. <laughs> Because I just had this sort of bias in my head that's like, oh, if I read this, I'm letting them win. It's this like weird juvenile <laughs> thing I had in my head. And then what really turned it around for me was hearing female friends recommend this book to me. It made me feel that um, I had this, you know, longstanding predisposition that sci-fi was for boys and not for girls. I, mm -hmm. I don't know if it was just the books I had read or the fan bases around these books, but I had never been into sci-fi. And it wasn't until I saw other girls who really enjoyed this book that I thought, okay, maybe there is something here for me. And so I picked it up a couple years ago. And in many ways, I was 
pleasantly surprised. Uh, the book isn't perfect to me. It's not my perfect book, but there was a lot here that I really enjoyed. And so I think if we're jumping into that, um, one of the main things I liked about this book is just on a conceptual level, I thought this was a really imaginative concept. I thought it was really immersive, especially as we get into the battle school and learn about some of the hierarchies there and learn about, you know, everyone's daily schedule. So I was really into Harry Potter growing up. And one of the things I liked most about Harry Potter wasn't, you know, the big magical storyline. It was just their day-to-day -day life at Hogwarts that I really, really enjoyed. And so this kind of brought me some vibes that were similar to that, even though this is a whole lot more bleak than Harry Potter was. The school life was a lot more bleak. But I just thought from a conceptual level, this was really imaginative and interesting. And I, I, I don't know if um, you reading this book, like, were you taken in by the sort of school atmosphere? Did you find that horrifying? Did you find that, you know, exciting? What were your sort of thoughts on that? As you were, as you were kind of saying that, like, of course, the action of it, you know, like, that kind of problem solving thing, part of it that I think is kind of overarching with a lot of how the story went but what i what i really like were just all the the characters like the side characters a lot i thought mm -hmm. I, I really wanted to know like the reasonings behind why the side characters acted the way they did like yeah. the one that I, the one that i always remember liking the most when i first read it was i think his name's dink or dink mm -hmm. meeker he, he was like an older kid that was like i'm not gonna take an army because you know the the man's holding me down kind of thing or something yeah and, yeah and and so like just kind of some of the side characters I really like that kind of a little bit of that like vicarious living vicariously in these situations yeah. like like feeling like how would I act or how, how would I do and I think there's enough of that I think that's why boys like it maybe a little bit it has a little mm -hmm. bit of that sporty that that kind of even though they're kids like that's another interesting thing so they are kids but they're not yeah. written they're not written like kids they're written yeah. more adult so it's kind of like a, a fluid thing like anybody can access what they're doing because it's not they're written in a way that's um just not exclusive to being a kid so no matter what age you are you can kind of access this idea of like going to a battle school and or something and being one of the people in this world um like as a as a guy you know as like the, somebody that might be more prone to like that kind of thing mm -hmm. um and so I think that really was an access for me for sure was just imagining myself in this moment yeah in, in this kind of place yeah a absolutely and uh, I think that makes a lot of sense I think there is that appeal to you know going off in space and being in a battle school and potentially leading you know whole groups of people and I can see how that feels really appealing and maybe that's part of why reading those scenes, I wasn't as taken in because, you know, there was this reminder that, you know, as a woman, like very few girls made it into the battle school. It was mm -hmm. few and far between. I mean, Orson Scott Card has a little of his misogyny come through there when he's like, well, you've got all this evolution sort of against them. And I'm like, well, it's not the physicality really that you're speaking to here. It's more cognitive you think they can't yeah. do the yeah. math and science and so I had to sort of just shake that away and keep going but I think when you come back to side characters for that reason I found myself really really drawn to Valentine mm -hmm. um, I really liked the what we saw in her perspective because what I really liked about her is 
we see just how intelligent she is. We see the impact she has on the on Earth while Ender is up at battle school. We see the impact she has on Earth. And we also see that her sort of guiding force, even though she has intelligence, her main strength is her empathy and her capacity for love. Mm -hmm. And that does so much for her going forward in a world that seems so cold and sterile, where everything just felt so clinical, like her empathy really shone through for me. I think as you as you talk about Valentine, so on the surface, like everything I mentioned just pre like a minute ago about the big battle and the games and that kind of aspect is mm -hmm. true. And at the same time, like, like, I wish I had that kind of mind where it's more about the mind, the Peter and Valentine kind of sequences that come along. When I first kind of read the book, I felt like I would be bored through those sections. But as mm -hmm. I read, I was like, this is like essential. Like, I love the political play and like yeah. trying to understand all that stuff. And, and it just, yeah, so I, I totally agree with what you just said, because it's like, that's another super compelling part of this, this book is like, kind of political games that were being played on that on earth while the battle school was happening. And it was just kind of access. It was cool. It was an accessible way to, to talk about that, I think. Yeah, yeah, they managed to convey some of those complex political ideas. Uh, I, ha I had a hard time at first thinking like, who the audience of these book these books are because at first I thought oh our main character is six years old but this is not obviously not meant for small children yeah. I, I would sort of classify this as being you know a young adult novel but it doesn't talk down to its reader which I appreciate and it was really able to distill some of those complex political ideas even though reading this book now those political ideas are a little dated with the obvious mm. references to like the Cold War. And obviously he's writing from his own context, but still a lot of those ideas were really strong and I think are probably more compelling for adults reading this book too, just the political intrigue, some of those quieter moments. And just as a side as well. So I read after reading Ender's Game, like the whole Orson Scott, I binged out on Orson Scott card. Like mm -hmm. I read all the sequels of like speaker for the dead and xenocide yeah. and those ones but then when the parallel sequels came out the with um with bean and like the shadow of ender shadow and all those things he went way deeper into this the the ender shadow ones when when they after the battle school and what happened on earth after the battle school yeah. kind of thing when when ender left and so yeah it was just is is fun i just thought i wanted to throw that in that's there. cool yeah cuz i found myself when I looked into reading Ender's Game, and this actually leads really nicely to my next point. Sure. I found that the second half of Ender's Game, or maybe like the last third of it really, when after Ender graduates the battle school and he starts training as a commander and we start delving a bit more into who the buggers are as an enemy, um, I found people online basically saying that Speaker, from the, Speaker for the Dead talks a lot more about those themes. And I found myself thinking, Maybe that's the one I want to check out because I thought the whole latter part of this book was the strongest part of this book for me. While the battle school stuff was cool and I have my criticism with those and I'll get to them. I thought this book really developed like a moral core and a heart when we really started thinking about the buggers as an enemy, the fact that we don't really know them, the fact that this is a, you know, a preemptive strike here, like we're basically misled as is Ender a lot about this war. And he's has to come to terms with the fact that he's forced to fight an enemy that he doesn't really know and that no one really knows. And there's a moral crisis to that. 
No, yeah, that the the sequels definitely play heavily on that. There's a lot, like in my opinion, the the two direct sequels are, um, I think there's two, mm-hmm. um, are tonally completely different than Ender's Game. Oh, okay. It's like I read, yeah, like tonally they're like not even the same. You they 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 don't even feel like they're in the same universe in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so and so you probably based on what you just said, I would imagine you would like them. Mm-hmm. For me. I read the so because I like Ender's Game so much, it took me like, you know, a week or something the first time I read Ender's Game. I read the next one, what speaker for the I don't remember which one it is, but the next one in like 24 hours. Uh-huh. I just consumed it because I was so amped. But then I was like, well, this is not this, this is not the same. This is not right. what I kind of signed up for, even though I still consumed it. And then the third, the next one I read as well, but it took me longer because I was like, oh, it's not quite what I was hoping for. But um yeah, no, I agree. Because there's that element of, you know, he basically com- com- uh, committed ge- like genocide. Is yeah, that the word yeah. or, or something? And so it's like there's a conflict there now. Like, uh, how can he live as a person when he's found out kind of the truth in a way yeah. about what he who who he was and stuff? So yeah, so it's interesting. Absolutely, and yeah, I really wanted to know more about those themes, so I'm glad to hear that the sequels talk about those more. I may have to check out. I didn't anticipate enjoying this book when I first picked it up, but at the same time, there were things that I didn't like that I expected not to like, and when I talk about these, I'm fully going to admit here, these are just my own biases as a reader, and so um I know you mentioned at the beginning of our conversation that you have dyslexia and that sort of, you know, comes into play when you pick up a book and choose a book to read. Um, And so what I'm talking about here, it's not quite the same as dyslexia, but I have a real issue visualizing certain things. So Mm. basically spatial reasoning and spatial memory have always been a challenge for me. I, I always joke I was terrible at geometry. I couldn't rotate a shape in space. Like a lot of the sort of, you know, trying to imagine objects moving uh, has always been a challenge for me. And how this leads into Ender's Game is this book is really, really heavy on battle scenes. And all these battle scenes take place in zero gravity. And your sense of direction is all messed up as a result. And I found myself completely motion sick half the time, not knowing what anything was and where anybody was going. Oh, I can hear, I can understand that completely. I like, that's interesting that you brought that up because that is like one of my strongest attributes as a person. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's like visually being able to like, because as an artist, I think, I don't know, growing up, my dad, my father was a carpenter and artist. And so I was always around like building things and this idea. So I'm like one of those types that can kind of just eyeball something and go like oh that needs to be like that and i just do it you know and and kind of thing and so spatial relationships has always been a strong suit for me so since you brought that up that makes total sense i think it could possibly be more enjoyable if you are able to do that through this book because there is so many describing the battle arena thing and Mm -hmm. all those things is like you kind of have to be able to hold ideas like that in your head I'm just like the complete opposite. I can't remember <laughs> names and, and things like, like I'm the type of reader that sometimes if a name comes up that I have a hard time pronouncing, I don't even try. I just remember that picture of the name, right? like the, the shape. 
and just go, okay, that picture name right there and not try to pronounce it, you know, in my head. I just go like, yeah. okay, so you, that's that character. So you see names as images rather than as words versus yeah. I find things so much easier to digest if it's verbal. Like I can mow through books, no problem. I, I memorize names and dates and things really easily, but anything picture related or sort of spatial, I have such a challenging time with it. So I think that's really interesting. And I think that I think that's something we don't really acknowledge a lot about books is how, you know, your mentality or your strengths as a learner can really play into your enjoyment of books or media. Like I tell people I have a really hard time with video games because video games are constantly moving and I get really, really mm. motion sick. So I rarely enjoy a video game or so <laughs> versus yeah, I don't yeah. know how if you enjoy video games, but I find people that are really spatially oriented tend to really like video games. Yeah, I love games. I just unfortunately don't have enough time to play them anymore. Right. Which I I can't tell if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but um, but yeah, I just I love games. I I started, you know, I don't know. We don't have to get nerdy about games because it's <laughs> Atari. Remember, that's what I started playing video games. Oh, on. okay. I'm old enough to have, to have had an Atari, and basically, I'm the that perfect age where I grew up with the evolution of video games. Mm -hmm. So it's like. It was that was a part of my ecosystem as part of my life as part of my reality. It was like, you know, in television was before Atari, Atari, mm -hmm. you know, Nintendo. And so I'm the perfect age that maps exactly with the evolution of video games. That's so cool. My, my husband collects old game consoles, so I'm pretty sure we have an Atari laying around our house. I wouldn't be able oh, to nice. recognize it, but I'm we probably have one. <laughs> Okay, tell them this. So I didn't actually have the official Atari. Mm -hmm. I had the I had the Sears brand Atari that was called Gemini. Oh. That was you, you could play the game, you know, all the Atari games on. It was just like a knockoff Atari. Uh -huh. So see if he knows about the Gemini. I'll ask him. Yeah, he might know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that's that's so interesting. So um so I guess that was the one thing that sort of, you know, took me out of the book a little bit. Um, and as I said before, I think the second half, you know, you leave the battle school and it's a lot more philosophical. It's a lot quieter. I found myself connecting a lot more with that part of the book. We also get more of Valentine in the second half, which I really liked. So I think it was just sort of a tale of two halves for me in terms of mm -hmm. enjoyment. But I think overall, just to sum up this book as a whole, I thought I was really pleasantly surprised here. I think there was... A lot to like here. Obviously, any book is worthy of criticism. And I think we've made plenty of valid criticisms about the book and about its author. But I think there's a lot to like here. And I can definitely see the influence this book has had on, you know, games and movies and other books that came after it. This definitely does feel like something that inspired a lot afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. I just from the reviews and a lot, you know, like how people read. I saw somewhere when I first read it or shortly after people that are training for command and stuff recommend this book yeah, and things like that. So I saw it's that. become and it's started to get and I think I saw somewhere it's starting to get recommended as a book for like reading in school, like as mm -hmm. in one of the like the canon type books that you would read, like, I don't know, To Kill a Mockingbird and all yeah. those ones. What was I going to? Oh, I was going to. Oh, I did want to say I don't remember if this is what I wanted to say, but I'm going to say. <laughs> You definitely, you definitely, I think if you want to give the the sequels a shot, um, I think you would definitely like them based on what you said, because it's not really a spoiler, but uh, Valentine plays a big role in the, the sequels. She's like a yeah. main character. Yeah, it's a lot. I think based on that description of how you like the end of this book, 
mm-hmm. the sequels, I think would be more your, your style. Yeah. That, um, that's good to know. Sure. I think I'm going to definitely pick up at least the next one and see how I feel about it and see if I find myself connecting a bit more, because like I said, I was pleasantly surprised by this. Um, and I think, you know, what you're saying here about further recommendations, this leads in well to the sort of thing I bring up towards the end of all my episodes, which is, you know, if you're listening to this episode, maybe you've read Ender's Game, maybe you enjoy it and you want some further recommendations. So as I mentioned before, I'm pretty new to sci-fi. Uh, so mm-hmm. the sci-fi that I've read is a little a little atypical, the sci-fi I enjoy. So I'm a big fan of uh, Kindred by Octavia Butler. Just started delving into Octavia Butler's books recently and Kindred's the first one that I've read. Octavia Butler, um, 20th century, um, black female science fiction and fantasy writer, very influential in the genre. Kindred's a really interesting book because it takes a lot of uh, historical concepts and adds a really interesting sci-fi component to them. So Kindred, to sum that book up, essentially takes place in the 1970s. Our main character is a young black woman, Dana, and she finds herself suddenly transported back in time to the time of slavery. And she's constantly sort of being thrown back and forth through time. And she has to basically help one of her ancestors through personal crisis after personal crisis. And the kicker here is her ancestor is a slave owner. And it's a really interesting historically based science fiction novel. It was a really great intro to me to time travel plots in general, which I had always kind of written off. So if you're like me and you think science fiction just isn't for you, I urge people to give this book a shot. I think it really does a great job of bridging the two gaps. And I intend to read more of Octavia Butler and really delve into all the different facets of what sci-fi can be. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. And, um, Sim, I didn't know if, I know you mentioned the sequels of Ender's Game. I didn't know if you had any other recommendations for maybe people who like Ender's Game, any other books you think they might enjoy. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, the one that comes to my mind definitely to me was Ready Player One kind of competing as my favorite book of all time. Now, I, I don't know which one to put at number one anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I read Ready Player One a, a couple years ago, maybe four years ago before the movie came out because I wanted to make sure I read it before the movie came out. Right. And um, just love it. If you're especially like, oh, great connection with this podcast of having that little tangent about video games, <laughs> because, you know, obviously Ready Player One is about kind of the video game industry and like or the idea. And if you're at all nostalgic about the 80s and 90s, plays on that nostalgia really well and um yeah it's really it's super fun and it has that I, th- I say it's another easy read it's not too heady but it's and it has enough action and it's kind of bounces between the two really well so it's a fairly fast read i think and um yeah super fun and uh, i highly highly recommend it and i don't recommend so talk about recommendations i do not recommend the movies for either of these books <laughs> the movies for either of these books is is complete garbage and a waste of time but that's just my thought on it and normally, normally I'm a lot more lenient about movie adaptations because here's my theory about movie adaptations about mm-hmm. books is I see like back before written word and at all, it was like tribal knowledge, right? And so you'd pass these kind of stories down through this tribal kind of way by speaking them and telling stories around the campfire and things like yeah. that. And then, and so, and then as the tribes would break apart in different tribes, the, the stories would evolve 
based on what tribe you are. So I see movies and books as two different tribes telling the same story. And most of the time I am okay with it. Most of the time it's all good. In this case, these they just made too many sacrifices. They didn't do it justice. They didn't do either book justice by how they decided to adapt them to the movies. And mm -hmm. so I'd say do not watch the movies or just realize that they're nothing. There's just nothing like the book like right i you know I, I don't know wait that's a whole thing another tangent i could keep going on but you know but in every other episode i've done every time a movie adaptation has come in everybody is strongly against whatever moody movie adaptation there has been <laughs> so i think there's something to be said for if you really like a book that much chances yeah. are you're not gonna like the movie as much <laughs> yeah. well it's like so you brought up harry potter earlier mm -hmm. and for me I love the Harry Potter movies and I love the Harry Potter books. Like to mm -hmm. me, there's not, so those are a good example of how they did it. They did it right. I'm a big movie fan as well. So like, I understand that it's a different way of telling a story. So you can't, you have to right. do have something. To make adjustments. I don't know with Ender's game. I just feel like leaving out, leaving out, anything about Peter and Valentine really hurt the movie. Oh, like they didn't it have was, Peter and Valentine in it no and oh. so it just so it was all just about this battle school thing so that you didn't really get the depth of the pol political kind of headiness mm -hmm. in the movie it was and that's basically the same thing happened in in ready player one where it was like it just turned into this like action like it was like a goonies reboot action thing <laughs> that was just it just didn't work it, like i would love to have seen it scale down and be more character driven and just kind of different but um yeah, that's a whole nother conversation about Ready Player One because there's a lot of <laughs> lot, lot of good stuff there too. But, but I appreciate but, the recommendation for sure. I've definitely yeah. heard my fair share of don't watch the movie, read the book. And so I intend to check yeah. out the book at some point. So that's a great recommendation. Um, but yeah, thank you so much, Sim, for being on this podcast and sharing Ender's Game with me. You got me to read this again with a bit more of an open mind and really sure. just <laughs> look at this book a little more critically and- I found a lot of stuff to love in it. So thank you for this experience. Yeah, you bet. I am mean, thank you. I mean, this was amazing. I love podcasts. Um, one thing that we didn't mention mm -hmm. earlier is I do, I do three podcasts actually. Oh my God. So like, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, one of them's pretty light. I just do it every once in a while, but one of them is about music and one of them is about art. And if there's ever, I don't know where I could find it, but if there's, if I find an opportunity to invite you to be a guest on my podcast, I would love to have that happen. Oh, thank maybe we you. could just, maybe we can just do it for fun. Absolutely. <laughs> like, I, I don't know where it would fit. I could just ask you questions about life and other books and stuff. If, if you're ever in a jam and you, or if you just like this conversation enough, I would totally be down to do this again with some other books I've read. Um, cause I, I, and it would give me an excuse to read more books or whatever. Cause I, I do love books too. And I'm, I'm really thankful that this opportunity came up because it's super fun. I've always wanted to do this. I've been like, you know, obviously with my like video about on YouTube about it, like trying to make a book club, it never yeah. happened, but <laughs> it, it's so fun. Thank you. I'm so glad you had fun. That's the whole point of all this is just to have fun talking about something you love and sharing it with someone else. So I'm glad you had fun. Thank you. Thank you all so much for listening. If you'd like to find out more, or if you'd like to be on an episode of Your Favorite Book, find me at Vika Reads, V-I-K-A-R-E-A-D-S on Instagram and Twitter. I'd be happy to hear from you. And as always, don't judge a book by its cover, but do judge a book by its lover.
See you next time.